Believe it or not, it's a town called Flin Flon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flin Flon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Of ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Start us off, Brent. Hey, yo, what up, Raphael Saray, Bay Bay with you. Special installment of Sewer Box Office. This go-around, we're back. Had to take some time off to go on the high seas with Treasure Island, but we are back with a returning guest and, I guess, a new guest as well because we're here with Noel Drimmy on the phone in the big city. Live from the uh, where Burger King Castle, where the uh, the Subway Village. Where are you at right now, Noel? Um, yeah, I'm currently at Ronald McDonald House. Oh, that's the one. All right, Ronald McDonald House in Winnipeg because you are a mom now. I sure am, Raph. Yeah, I know being a mom has been uh, quite, the, quite the adventure so far because, um, yeah, it kind of turned out not the way I had expected, um, which is why I'm here um, in Winnipeg and not in Flint Swan. You were uh, tagged to be in our Culture Days production, and then what? we got word mm-hmm. Alain just showed up like, there's um, Noel can't make it today, or <laughs> for the rest of the rehearsals and the show. And the show, yes, because yep. in yep. Flimflon you have to tell people about your arts council commitments first, <laughs> and then well, get to life changing news. Yeah, and no joke. Like I literally, you know, well, Mike knew my partner, Mike, because um, he was at the hospital with me when we found out that we were going to have a premature baby. So I called my mom, and, and then I called you guys. Yes. <laughs> you know? like, and, yes. Uh, I, oh, my goodness, I can't be at rehearsal tonight. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and you, it just made you realize, you know, how involved your life is in Flin Flon, um, particularly um, when you're plucked right out of it and you have to cancel a bunch of commitments at the last minute. So, yeah, that was a very strange feeling. <laughs> so your water broke, and then it was just a mad packing frenzy? Basically. Well, and when my water broke, I was relatively calm. You know, they really misrepresented in the media. Like, it's not this, you know, big waterfall cascade generally. And I and I did a lot of reading about it. So I knew, you know, potentially that this could be my water breaking or it could be something else. Because um, when you're pregnant, weird things happen to your body. So I was at school. It was a Monday morning. It's like just like this one. Um, you know, I was preparing for the week. I had a new student coming the next day. I had lots on the go. We had only been in school for, this was the first week of school in September. Um, teaching a new grade. I was very excited. Uh, things were going well. The kids were excited about the baby. And yeah, I was on my lunch break. And then all of a sudden I was wetter than usual. Um, and just thought, what, what, what's that? Like, what's going on? And, you know, would go to the washroom and be like, okay, well, I don't feel crampy. I don't feel all that any, you know typical signs of labor that I thought I should be having if I was going into early labor. So I just sort of dealt with it and uh, started teaching again after my lunch duty. And I got about an hour in and I thought, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm cold. I'm wet. I Googled it and, you know, Google was not helpful. So I took my kids to gym and I just, you know, and not thinking this would be the last time I saw them. But I dropped him off at gym, and I went right to my principal, and I said, hey, you know, something's odd. Like, I, you know, something's not right. And she was incredibly supportive um, and just said, go to the hospital. So I, I called my partner. I said, we're going to the hospital. And we just remained calm. 
and everyone in the hospital was great, and they were calm, and we just hooked baby up to what's called a non-stress test. And so they put a little um, monitor, um, like, above my uterus, and they put a little monitor on the baby, so it um, tracks contractions and then tracks the baby's vital signs and heartbeat and all that, and everything was fine. So, you know, for a while there, I thought everything was going to be okay. <laughs> um, luckily, there was an obstetrician on staff that day. Um, it was always a 50-50, and I knew that. But she was there, thank goodness, and she was able to run some very quick tests. Not even tests. They were going to test the fluid coming out of me to see if it was my water that had broken. And they're like, oh, we got to send it to the lab and da-da-da-da. And this obstetrician was like, no, I'll just look at it. Like, I can just give me a microscope, and I will look at it, and I will tell you what it is. So she did, and she's like, yes, your water has broken. And, yes, you're going to have a baby very soon, and we're going to do all these tests. We're going to give you this shot of steroids to stimulate your baby's lungs. Um, you're going to need to get another one, so just don't have the baby for 48 hours. And, you know, and we're sending you to Winnipeg, and you're not leaving this hospital bed. Your husband's going to go pack your bags, and you're just going to get on a plane, and I'll let you go. So that's kind of what happened. It was a very whirlwind experience, and the entire time you're sort of checking your surroundings, going, is this really happening to me? So was the, I'm sure there was probably a lot of... Uh emotional roller coasters going on or was there no time for that i guess well uh, yeah i had like like you know peaks and valleys of, of emotions and it was just sort of you know a, a bittersweet thing when i looked at the doctor and i said so i'm not going back to work <laughs> you know it was sort of you know i sort of pictured like you know ending my school time with my kids and having like a nice little party and doing all these you know cute little things and and, you know, being able to nest at home maybe for like a week and, and just getting ready for the baby. And all that went out the window very quickly. Um, and But that was, you know, I knew there was nothing I could do about it. So I didn't really have time to feel sad. Um, and because my body was just being very calm about the whole thing, I was like, well, I'm not going to make it worse. I don't want to go into labor, like actively. So I'm just going to, you know feel like this is what it is and I'm being taken care of and that's all that we can do so I was a little bit I was a little bit sad um just because everything I had envisioned about having a baby was now totally different and I wasn't prepared for that but I knew I had lots of competent people to guide me along the way so no baby book could could have prepared me but it didn't matter at that point so then you went on to the city and the actual birthing. There was more more complications um, when I got to, to Winnipeg. So getting to Winnipeg was great. Um, and I had mentioned um, when I had an interview with the CBC, they were asking me, you know, how my care was in Flin And it was just impeccable because, you know, I felt totally safe and secure. And I'd been given, you know, everything I could. I had all the tests taken. And so when I got to triage, um, after being on the air ambulance and being in, you know, two other ambulances, one in Flintstone, one in Winnipeg, um, and being treated, like, amazingly by all the ENT staff. Um, they just said all my all my blood work, all my tests, all my everything looked great. They were incredibly impressed, and they, you know, didn't keep me in triage very long. They monitored the baby some more, and they said, you know, like, you're looking good, everything's good. We're going to send you upstairs um, so you can just get some rest. And so I just went up to the my hospital room and um, met my roommate and you know just kind of took it from there and we were told um, we had an ultrasound the next day to check out the baby the baby was breech which um is a feet down which is not a good position for birth um babies can be born breech um naturally 
Um, but because my baby was so small, it wouldn't have been safe. So the the next sort of conversation was, well, you're going to have a cesarean section. Um, I've never been, I've never broken a bone. I've never stayed overnight in a hospital. I've never gone under for anything. Like, so the whole notion of having sort of major surgery was kind of scary. Um, but again, I was like, well, there's nothing I can do. And I'm just going to, you know. And so our big hope was that the baby would flip upside down and put its head down because then I could potentially um, give birth naturally. Um, so we just played the waiting game and I walked around the hospital. I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital grounds, but I was allowed to walk around and, you know, just sort of try to be a human, um, all with a nice big, you know, IV thing in my hand. So I sort of looked like a cyborg. But uh, yeah, we, and then we took another um, ultrasound on the Friday. So I was admitted on the Monday. We got to Friday. And the ultrasound showed that all of baby was upside down, including the head, the hands, the feet, um, but also, unfortunately, the umbilical cord. And because of that, I was now considered incredibly high risk because if I did go into labor um, or if the cord started to, you know, because the cord's first, the cord's going to come out first instead of the baby. And that's very dangerous because the baby can asphyxiate itself. Um, but I didn't know that. I didn't Google prolapse umbilical cord, thank goodness, um, because it's an incredibly dangerous thing um, to have going on in your body. So, but that was the thing. And the nurses said, well, if you feel that cord coming out, you got to call us. And I said, what's that going to feel like? Um, again, no baby book could prepare you <laughs> for this kind of situation. And so I just said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if I think it's happening. And, uh, so we got to, you know, the, the next Monday. Um, so a couple of days later, we got to Monday night. I, Mike had been spending every day with me at the hospital, but was also spending every night at his aunt so he could actually sleep in a bed because there's nowhere for partners or anything to sleep in the hospital on a long-term basis. So I, my body started doing some different things, and the uh, nursing team and the obstetrics team, they kept monitoring me, and they said, you know what? We think your body is telling us that you're going to have this baby soon, so we're going to take you downstairs and uh, into labor and delivery. Um, which, by the way, if you've never been to a labor and delivery ward, it sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> oh, um, so we stayed there all night with women screaming, you know, you'd have women screaming, 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 and then you'd hear a baby scream, and then women screaming, 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 and then a baby scream. So it was this, you know, incredibly um, interesting space. And then we had the, and it was about two in the morning, and we had um, the surgeon come, and she said, okay, so here's what your life's going to look like. We're either going to cut you open this way or cut you open that way, and, you know, sign, basically sign away your life, like, you know, and... It was just sort of a very surreal thing. It's two in the morning, and then she says, you know, the best thing you can do is just get some rest. <laughs> so, you know, I'm still, I'm hooked up to this non-stress test again, so I have to wear it, you know, constantly. So it's very uncomfortable, and we're just tossing and turning. Poor Mike is sleeping, sitting up in a chair, and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, and I said to the nurse, and I can't eat now either. And I can, you know, have ice chips and that kind of thing, because if we go into surgery, I have to have an empty stomach. And I said to the nurse, I said, how long is this going to go on for? She's like, well, you could be like this for days. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just so exhausted. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, like, we're, we're never going to get out of this. And then, you know, about this time um, in the morning, exactly, 
uh, my baby girl was born um, because the cord did start coming out and I did feel it. And I said to the doctor who was there, I said, hey, you might want to check it out down there. <laughs> Tell me what you think. And she's like, oh, we don't like to check women too much because it, you know, could, you know, introduce infection. And I said, no, no, you need to just have a look. And she did. And within a millisecond, she had an entire team of people um, ready to go to wheel me into surgery. And it was straight out of a scene of ER. It was, you know, people just running around and, and, and beds moving and lights flashing and you know, poor Mike got locked out of the room because he couldn't change the scrubs in time. And so they just did their thing, and there was about, I don't know, 12 to 15 people in that room, it felt like. It was very busy, but very organized, you know, and I I sort of looked up at them, and I said, hey, it's like you guys are running a fire drill. And they said, are you a teacher? I went, yeah. And I just tried to, you know, make light of what was happening, even though I knew it was very serious, um, because they were about to cut me open. And, you know, they were pouring the anesthetic. It was really cold all over my stomach. And the nurse was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, no, it's your job. It's fine. And they're, you know, giving me oxygen. And, you know, and the anesthesiologist pulls down his mask. And he's like, hi, I'm Curtis. And I'll be your anesthesiologist today. And I said, oh, hi. And everyone was just so nice and so lovely. And I could hear my baby's heartbeat on the monitor. So I knew she was okay. And she wasn't losing oxygen. And you know, she wasn't pushing on the cord at that point. And, you know, at that moment, I knew that everything's as okay as it can be. Um, and then the next thing I do, I was, I was knocked out. I was knocked out cold. And they got the baby out. Um, and, and as Mike tells me, she came out screaming. So the shots that they gave her for her lungs, they worked because <laughs> she was able to cry when she came out, which is what we were hoping for. And, yeah, she... She did very, very well coming out. She was put straight into an incubator. And after I woke up, I didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. So they, they said, you have a daughter. And uh, they wheeled her over in this, you know, sort of space-age incubator over to my bedside because I couldn't move. And I got to touch her and I got to say hi to her. And then they just wheeled her off to the NICU um, where she's been ever since. So Daisy is the name. Is that was a name going in that you guys had? Or did you just look at her face and you, you're a Daisy now? <laughs> Well, actually, we had a list. Um, Mike went to the dollar store one of the days and got a little whiteboard and some whiteboard markers, and we made a, a girl list and a boy list and a gender-neutral list of names, and we sort of had, you know, because I had, like, you know, so many nurses and doctors coming to see me at all points of the day, every day, and we just said, oh, you know, vote for your favorite name, because we really hadn't decided on what we were going to do, and, you know, Daisy was one of the names that, you know, that we liked. And and Ray, her first middle name is my grandpa's uh, name, and he passed away uh, in June. And he was a teacher and a really wonderful man, and he would have loved to have met her. So you know that name was always sort of on the table. And then Elizabeth is my mom's name, and then and she's a Spencer as well. So yeah, it was the only name that we sort of wrote out to see how it looked and how it sounded. And we didn't do a boy's name, and we just sort of left it at that. And yeah, so when she was born, we're like, oh, well, we got it. We've already, so we were happy about that. So then the the fun postnatal uh, saga continues. And I guess it's neat that you have uh, you, you have family there in Winnipeg, but also members of the of the Flin Flon and surrounding communities came in. It was like it was like visiting the baby Jesus at the manger. Just wise <laughs> people bringing frankincense and myrrh, and followed by various stars to get there. 
Yeah, no, it's been really wonderful. Like we, re- yeah, we felt so loved from you know here right in Winnipeg, and then yeah from Flin Flon and all the people who've come to visit. It's just and the phone calls and texts and me- messages, and it's just been really overwhelming and really wonderful. And it's really helped keep our spirits up. And you know, Daisy is already completely spoiled, but we're okay with that right now. Yes, da- Daisy, uh, in- Instagram sensation. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll I'll back off on the on the post once we have her home, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it kind of right. helps uh, helps me process what's going on right now. Just un- until she's like sixty, like <laughs> yeah. up to one hundred and fourteen like, pounds well, now. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, and it's a way too for me to sort of keep you know people that uh, are really far away and won't get to come see her for a very long time, especially um a lot of my family and friends in Ontario. Um, who won't get to really meet her or see her until I take her back in the summertime. So, yeah. So locally here, obstetrics and birthing is a thing. I don't know if you've been following. Yeah, is it ever? And, yeah, I just, it's not something I expected, um, them announcing the, clo- the closing of the obstetrics unit. And, it, you know, at the time when it happened, it just felt like such a slap in the face. Um, you know, I wrote this, you know, sort of long you know, angry but pointed um, appeal to Cameron Friesen, our health minister, on Facebook the one day. Um, and I was just so tired, and I was, you know, I'm, I was struggling with feeding my daughter, and, you know, I've been living in and out of this hospital and, you know, not sleeping in my own bed. We're going on close to 60 days now. And I just thought, you know, how, how dare this happen and how frustrating this is. And I would have been one of those women because um, my original due date was December 11th. And so I absolutely would have been part of the crew now who's being told to go to the paw and have their baby. Um, and that was literally the, the only stressful thing until my water broke was not knowing where I was going to have the baby. You know, we talked about it. We said, oh, like, we really hope that we have an OB, like, that we should be born. And we were supposed to find out on October 10th um, that was going to be our next prenatal appointment. Um, that Daisy had already been born by then, but that's when we were supposed to find out if the doctor was going to be in town that day, or that week, rather. Um, and so that was really stressful. And we, the day before my water broke, we were literally discussing, like, what are we going to do if we have to go to the pod? Should we just make plans to go to Winnipeg? Do we even go to Ontario? Like, what are we, what are we going to do to make this the least stressful um, birth experience? <laughs> but of course, all that went out the window. But for other people, this is now a reality, you know, where it's like, what are they going to do? And, and how is the PAW going to make this work for everybody? Um, and, and why did it get this bad? <laughs> you know, there was all these sort of questions that popped up immediately once the closure was announced. So, yeah, I feel incredibly terrible for those women. And, uh, and actually, a colleague of mine just gave birth on Saturday. So she potentially has had one of the last births in Flint Swan uh, for quite a while. Well, yeah, it's it's not like there's a, a 24-7 obstetric center here in Flin Flon anyway, and then they, they've just, they just sort of announced that it's going to be suspended, but it's pretty much been that way for about a couple of years now. Yeah, unfortunately, and I, you know, and I honestly, I didn't pay attention to it. I wasn't even, you know, babies were not at the top of my list, um, you know, obviously until I got pregnant, then it was, you know, very Then it was, birth. you know, top five at least, so yeah, and I and I had always heard that there was a wonderful obstetrician in town, and, and I just never thought anything of it. And then once I became pregnant, then it was sort of like, oh, there's only an OB here half time. 
And I would meet these other moms, um, you know, in the prenatal nurse waiting area because, you know, you go for some lots of appointments to make sure everything's okay. And, yeah, they were all planning on going to the PAW. And I thought, like, God, you know, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, that's not, especially in the middle of the winter, like, I don't want to take a newborn baby on a one-and-a-half-hour car ride. You, know? yeah, you don't want to do that normally, let alone no. with a newborn. Exactly. And I just thought all the implications of that and what if the weather's bad. And then, you know, I had been to a mom group and I had talked to another mother who did give birth in the paw, and her experience was not great. And I just thought, I don't want to be ambulanced over there at the last minute. And then have my baby and then be ambulanced back immediately after. Like, that also sounds terrible. Um, especially compared to now with the, you know, with the treatment that I've received here in Winnipeg. Like, I just can't imagine women being given less than they deserve when they're going through one of the biggest life changes ever. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm incredibly upset. And, and I know that lots has happened in town already to sort of raise awareness about the issue. Um, so I'm really proud of all those women who've um, really stepped up and, and done the forum and organized the protests and the, and the letters and the emails and the petitions. And, and, and I think it's great. And, I'm, and I really hope that we can make this better because we have to. Um, you know, it's, it's unfair and it just feels like we're moving backwards, you know. Well, yeah, and especially because we're in Flimflon here, but we also serve, you know, communities like you got Sandy Bay and, and areas That's out there where they're doing a big drive just to get here and now being told mm -hmm. they have to do even bigger drive. Yeah, yeah, to, like go to PA. Like I feel, I feel like that's just ridiculous. And with, you know, having a baby, like it's so touch and go. Like, you know, my pregnancy went from very low risk, like there was nothing wrong with me and my baby to, you know, your baby's in grave danger, and it happens so quickly. And if you don't have that sort of staff with that knowledge and know-how and experience, you know, we're going to have some really negative outcomes for moms and babies, and it's completely preventable. Um, so, I, you know, we want to know what is, what is the plan? You know, they said they're going to talk about it in 2019, but, you know, we need more than that. We need some assurances and, and you know, and a plan. We need a plan. We need to know what the government or the NRHA or I don't even know who to, it's got to be a combination of all of them. Like, what are we going to do? So you're still in Winnipeg. Is there a target time for when you will be making your way back to Flin Flon? Well, um, we don't exactly have a date, and that's the thing with babies. They're on their own schedule. Um, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, she's doing really well, um, but she's still on a feeding tube. Um, so whatever she, you know, and they, they up her feeds based on her body weight. And so she's currently taking, you know, 50 mLs of milk every three hours sort of thing. Um, but she has to be able to take um, all of that on her own you know, without falling asleep or without, you know, losing her breath and without, um, you know, becoming disinterested. So whatever she doesn't take, she has to have um, by what they call gavage, so using the feeding tube. So she's still using that tube, and until she's independent of that tube, then they have to keep her there. Um, otherwise, the worry is that she won't gain weight and she won't thrive, and because she's premature, that's, you know, even uh, a stickier situation. Um, so we're going to stay here until they say she can go. She's very close. Like I would, 
I want to wager, I guess, that maybe two more weeks um, being in the NICU. Um, but we're going to, because we do have family here, we are going to stay um, in Winnipeg until Christmas and do the traditional family Christmas that we usually do uh, here in Winnipeg with uh, my partner's family. So that's going to be happening there. And, and again, it just sort of, you know, resonates that, you know, people have to go to the pause. Like, they not, don't necessarily have family. They don't have a place like on a McDonald's house to sleep and eat. You know, we pay $10 a day to live here, which is cheaper than parking at the hospital, incidentally. And, and, you know, and we're given everything that we that we need. Like, they've taken every stressor out of our lives and just let us focus on our baby. And, you know, if Flynn Swan and the NRHA and the, the government takes that away from women, like, we're, you know, we're on the wrong side of history on that one. So... Yeah, but hopefully she'll be she'll be she'll be back in Flint Fun in 2019. So watch out. And uh, and until then, I guess her vigorous community choir rehearsing, crying, and building up her vocal strength continues. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she can't wait to make her debut. Yes. All right. Got to be in fine voice, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> How can something this small be so loud? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, Noel. Yeah. We will leave you to your mothering and and uh, living life in uh, Winnipeg. Thanks for taking some time out of your day because a lot of people are uh, concerned not only with uh, obstetric care, but uh, you are personally and you have a unique story to share and we're uh, proud we could give it a forum here on uh, Flin Flon's number one arts slash OBGYN based podcast. <laughs> well, I'm so, I'm so happy that you asked me to speak and, and yeah, you haven't heard the, the last of this uh Sort of passionate mom with this OB stuff, so we're gonna we're gonna get it, make it better, and uh, yeah, we can't wait for Daisy to come to her home. So thank you very much.